This is the Sonic Truth. The Sonic Truth is brought to you by Veritonic, the audio intelligence platform empowering marketers to understand and quantify the most effective ways of using sound. The Sonic Truth is also brought to you by Advertising Week 360, showing you what's next and powered by the best and the brightest in the creative industries. On each episode, we welcome leaders in marketing and media who bring diverse insight into how sound is transforming business and reshaping our world. If you've bought tickets for a live entertainment or sports event in recent years, the chances are you've at some point gotten your tickets from SeatGeek. SeatGeek's search engine has the largest inventory of tickets on the web and some of the best technology out there to ensure you're getting the best deal and the best seats for the event that you want. What you might be less aware of, though, is the fact that SeatGeek is also a pioneer of podcast advertising, spending on shows like the Bill Simmons podcast as early as 2015. Our guest today, Ian Borthwick, is now leading that charge, running podcast advertising for SeatGeek, as well as its influencer program. We're thrilled to have him on The Sonic Truth, and now I'll pass it over to our host, Scott Simonelli, CEO of Veritonic, and welcome again to The Sonic Truth. Welcome, Ian. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got here. Yep. So, I'm Ian. Um, I'm now the director of what we call endorser marketing at SeatGeek, so that encompasses everything in the audio and influencer space. Before that, I worked for Wasserman Media Group, which is a large sports agency, and my job was basically help all these sports agents figure out all the problems they have with athletes, selling sponsorships, dealing with talent, um, and did that that sports agency life for about three odd years. And, and after that, I really wanted to take the next step and move to a brand, but a brand that was in the technology space and the sports space. Luckily, SeatGeek kind of fits both of those. Um, so I joined SeatGeek about four years ago, and I was the 80th employee. I've been told we're at 450 employees now. So we expanded a lot since then. And initially, and I think SeatGeek would admit this, they hired me to, they weren't really sure exactly what I was going to do, but they liked that I had spent time working with talent and sponsorship. And um, after a while, I, I, I joined our audio team and was able to really see the rise of audio at SeatGeek. And now we do about 300 uh, podcasts we're going to sponsor this year, everything from the Bill Simmons show to part of my take to the Pat McAfee show to Katie Nolan. So I've seen kind of the rise of audio at SeatGeek and simultaneous to that, We've also seen a big rise in what we do in the influencer space, which is actually very similar to what we do in the podcast space on YouTube. So right now, those are two of our biggest channels at SeatGeek, and um, we definitely believe in the power of audio. Awesome. Do you go out and kind of look at those 300 podcasts and say, one by one, these are the ones we're going to sponsor? Or do you have a way? How do you suss out like what's a good fit for SeatGeek? It's a good question. I mean, ultimately, the good thing is that we're selling a product that appeals to a broad array of people. So you can be a music fan, a sports fan, fan of comedy. So we have a pretty wide demographic we can look for. In the early days, we really, really focused on sports podcasts. So that's where Seeky cut its teeth in audio. Bill Simmons is our iconic person we first partnered with. Um, and what's great about audio, especially back then, was it was truly the wild, wild west in podcasts, where you would reach out directly to these hosts. So we'd reach out directly to Bill Simmons he barely knew what he was doing. We barely knew what we were doing. And we formed what I believe was the first presenting sponsorship on podcasts. And since then, 
we've kind of been trying to partner with a bunch of different podcasts that really align with the the audio space. We've expanded that niche beyond sports, so we sponsor um, more general interests like David Dobrik. But really what we're trying to do is say, if if someone was to say, do something, would you actually do it? Do you care enough about that podcaster? So a lot of times I ask my team, like, if a podcaster was in Central Park and he said, come meet me here, would people actually meet him there? And that's a good way to test to see if he's actually, he or she is actually able to drive conversions and really grow the SeatGeek brand. So you put a premium on the the person as an influence. So there is that parallel maybe between social media and, and podcasting. Yes, it's always, yeah. I mean, I think what we do differently than other brands is we don't pay a lot of attention to, as much attention to downloads and total like exposure. For us, we measure everything based on the code. So everyone has probably heard the words from Simmons, use code BS for $20 off your first right. order. Thousands of times for me. Thousands of times. <laughs> and... um the read has almost become a meme in itself just because people have heard it so much. But that's how we know if things are working. So for us, everything comes down to actually being able to drive sales, which is, I would say, in some ways harder than a lot of other brands who maybe are just looking for impressions or CPMs, but it's really powerful if you can get a channel to work. So for us, because we're able to show how many um, incremental transactions we're driving to SeatGeek, we're able to invest much more in audio than if we were just looking at it based on a CPM basis or total impressions. So I think that's the difference between us and a lot of other brands is, is, is we really grew up in audio being a conversion driving channel and not just like a quote-unquote brand channel. Interesting. So just out of curiosity, Bill Simmons obviously is someone that, that I think a lot of people are familiar with. He's popular. Who are like the just who are the next two or three? Like, who is there a big gap, Bill Simmons? And then, like, then there's this huge cliff, and then like a cluster of people. Like, I'm just curious. Like, is it entertainment? Is it sports? Like, because Seeky got you, know, you think about sports. There's also concert tickets and all other live events. It's really an experience company, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say Bill Simmons is a massive name in the space. Um, but there's there's definitely other large podcasts that are doing very well for us. Um, some that are more niche to us. That would be like. Like Section 10 is a podcast that's just about the Red Sox. And I think that would challenge like a lot of brands is try to think of, for us, Section 10, like there's no audience that's going to like SeatGeek more than an audience of like diehard Red Sox fans. So for us, a lot about podcasting is finding like our niche. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head how many downloads, but let's say they have, you know, half a million downloads. That half a million is going to be diehard sports fans, whereas as you continue to work your way to more general interest, you lose a little bit of that. But Section 10 is massive for us. The Pat McAfee show um, for us is huge for two reasons. One, he has the sports fans, but he hits the middle of the country. And I think with podcasts, you see a lot of stuff on the coasts, but you don't see podcasters who can really reach the middle. Um, Katie Nolan's a really great name for us. And part of my take is also a massive name for us. So sports, I imagine, has more of a consistent flow of events, whereas like somebody might be like, I really want to go see this concert or this show, and that might be a more singular. Yes, so it's a good point. So the music fan is really hard to target because if you think about the music fan, they only buy tickets really at two times. So if you're a fan of Drake, you buy Drake tickets right at the on sale when Ticketmaster inevitably sells out or two weeks before that show comes through town. And so you really have to hit that that listener in those two moments. You have to find a podcast, let's say, that appeals to Drake fans 
and then you have to be on that podcast right in front of the on sale and right in front of, let's say, when they come to New York or L.A. So that's much more of a, a, a decision the team makes on a, I would say, like spot basis. So if we're looking to get on a podcast for that reason, we buy a couple spots on the on sale and a couple spots when Drake comes to New York, whereas sports, we are often looking at a year-long partnership. And so that's kind of like the different ways we look at it. But the sports fan is much easier to target because they make it pretty obvious. They say, if you follow Red Sox podcast, you're a sports fan. You follow Bill Simmons, you're a sports fan. Whereas the music fan is, is much tougher, but that's where SeatGeek's seen the most growth. So we really have to spend a lot more time thinking about getting on those podcasts than the sports ones. Right. Section 10 should advertise on Bill Simmons' podcast. I'm a Red Sox fan, and I've never heard of that podcast. So right. They, they, you just did free advertising for them. Uh, you're their presenting sponsor. Um, so that's actually a good segue into, like, how do you, SeatGeek was, you, you know, could be on, like, the Mount Rushmore of, like, first first in podcasts and, like, one of the biggest, and, and especially for our listeners in the marketing world, do you do it differently today than maybe you would have a few years ago? How do you find those podcasts? How do you find the person who... Is got has listenership has downloads and is there for Drake on those two events? Like, what is different about the industry today than maybe when you first first started out? Right. Yeah. So I say podcast in the early days, as kind of mentioned earlier, was more the wild wild west where you were reaching out to the podcast yourself, and I think that created some of the greatest ads you're going to hear because you had that one to one connection with the podcaster, and there wasn't as many intermediaries. But the biggest problem back then was how do you scale? So. It's a lot of time to reach out to every single podcast and manage them all yourself. It's almost an impossible problem once you reach a certain scale. So in the last three or four years, I see the market has really centralized in that there's a couple big buying agencies and a couple big uh, properties that represent a bunch of podcasters. So you're able to scale that much, much more than you were before. But the onus is now really on us, and I challenge my team and myself, to work on copy and to work on integrations with podcasts that are going to break through the clutter because that centralization is going to lead to more formulaic ads, or that's what it naturally go to, ads that you can distribute to everyone. It's really your onus on the brand to push, whether your agency or push the podcast itself to do something unique with, with your reads. So... As I said, we, we've done presenting sponsorships, which mm. are like every year we'll kind of take a couple big swings at podcasts we really think are going to grow, and we want to do a more unique integration. So I, a couple of ones have been like with part of my take. A guest comes on the show. Our ad isn't like a 15-second, 30-second mid-roll ad. It's they literally ask the, the talent on the show, have they heard of SeatGeek? And then either yes or no, and they say, well, I have the answer for you, and they'll go into our ad read and walk kind of the guests through and ask the guests what live events they've been to, what are they interested in, and we're able to break through the clutter that way. Katie Nolan sings our ad reads, so she did our ad read to an Imagine Dragon song. She does our ad reads, and initially she actually, it got flagged by our agency, and they were like, do you want this to happen? Are you okay with your ad read being sung to Imagine Dragons? And we obviously were like, yes. I mean, I think any way... And you can break through the clutter is really important. And so we really encourage all of our hosts to go off script. We have the one thing they need to say, which is our tracking and our code. But you don't need to tell everyone about deal score every time. We really want that ad to be something you want to listen to, a value add to the content, as something that takes away from the content. So you you would say, I mean... The, the creative itself, the ad creative is, is... Super important. Because kind of in my long-winded answer, back in the day it was so 
because it was such a one-to-one connection, that did tend to happen. Whereas now the market has centralized, which allows you to scale much, much faster. But you really need to push your agency and any any podcast you work with that you want your ads to be really authentic because there are more ads and the ads tend to be more formulaic, I'd say, than they used to be. In order to stick out in advertising now, you really have to have those ads be really creative and different and integrated. So you... So you um We've seen it too, just in, in our in our world, right? Creative matters a lot. Um, so, do you feel like that continues to become a challenge, um, and arguably harder? I mean, going forward, right? As more people start to come along, and, and, and yeah, it's like it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder because it's really easy for everyone involved to just say, "Yeah, we'll just do the four copy points that we always do," right. and the host just reads those four copy points. But I equivocate that to like the banner out of audio. It's a something that people want to hit that double skip button and skip over your ad. And so you really have to try to think hard and push everyone involved to make your ads more creative. And often that means a bigger investment. So that's why we like the presenting sponsorships because you have the leverage to do something unique with it. And so that's, I think, really what the onus right now is on anyone who's been in podcasts for a while is how to keep your read fresh and different. And I'd say it's it's really trusting the hosts and how they're going to authentically integrate into the content and not trying to dictate to them, you have to hit these four copy points. So you're kind of counting on their creativity and, and well, it's a partnership, really. Yeah. I mean, the one quote I will say is like, usually the, the creator is going to tell your brand story to their audience better than you are to their audience because they know their audience so well, they're going to know what's going to appeal to them. And if you really get if you really start dictating things to that audience, it's going to come off inauthentic. That's a great point. Just curious, like, you know, you're looking at the ads, right, and creative. And, and obviously, like, I, I know SeatGeek as a brand, right? I think there's definitely a brand. I love your logo. Um, you know, it's like, it, it, it's, just like it's, you know, it's, it's one of those great logos that kind of is what it is. It's hard to say, it. though. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> true if you have to answer the phone all day. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, you know, it's one of those things that's you know, it's kind of cool visually, and I think it, right. it's, it's great. You know, do you have a... Now you talk about giving the the host creative leeway. Do you have like a Sonic style guide? Where do you guys stand on Sonic branding as a as an initiative? Like when somebody, like what does SeatGeek sound like? Have you thought about that yet, or is that something that's coming down the road? I mean, I think it's something that definitely we need to think of. We're in the midst of really planning for what we're going to do at our 2020 creative, and I think the idea of having a certain tone that really personify SeatGeek is something we haven't done, which is crazy considering how much audio advertising we've done. I wouldn't call it sonic branding, but I will say we've gotten to the point where our reads have become jokes in and of themselves, where the minute somebody starts a SeatGeek read, it has become so ingrained in everyone's head, both on podcasts and on YouTube, that we've gotten, I think we're at 40,000 tweets of people either making fun of our reads, making jokes about our reads, when this read, you know, this is going to happen. So we haven't done a good, we've, we've kind of accidentally fallen to a place where we've really gotten people's heads, but we need to take the next step in trying to figure out if we, if, because we've relied so much on hosts, if our brand was going to speak for itself, what it would sound like. And I think that's a challenge for us in 2020. Yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, right? You're one of the first people doing this and, and no one disputes the value and, and of, of a host. It's been around since the the first right. radio show of all time, like, you know, way back when there's, there's a great synergy between 
someone that people trust. They're and especially with audio, right? They're literally in your ear. Right. Like I feel like I've been talking to Bill Simmons for whatever, however long it's been, you know, a long time, fifteen years or whatever. Right. And so like you really trust that person. There's a real authentic you, you mentioned the word authentic a lot, and that's true. I think when you have to do that on your own as a brand, it's something that, that can be difficult because you have to kind of find your own voice and and there's nothing scarier than this like like me even listening to this podcast there's nothing scarier than the sound of your own voice for a person or for a brand i don't know if i can handle listening to this back but yeah um yeah i mean we we just started doing tv advertising which is you know our first step in starting to speak for ourselves um and so i think we're taking those steps but to date seeking has really relied on that endorsement from other people these creators and use leveraging them and i think as we continue to become more and more of a brand and look at other channels whether it's tv ads or radio ads we need to start thinking about what our brand is going to sound like if we were to speak for us when was the first tv ad we did the first tv ad this spring and then it went pretty well we were able to build upon that and we just finished up another campaign summer and we're now looking at 2020 and what that creative looks like um seeking is such a data-driven company that we whether it's podcast or youtube or in this case tv we need to produce measurable results so and tv is not a medium that's as much built to have measurable results so a lot of that is really building up our internal learnings on measuring the effects of tv and how we can quantify it so that hopefully we can go much bigger in 2020 so that's where tv stands right now but it's a massive channel that we haven't really broached yet and so as we look to and we look to continue to grow the brand tv stands as a pretty obvious target for us so you'd say you're you believe in audio and you're data driven. Yeah. And now you're going to TV where this we see we have this this one um, thing that we we've, we've noticed and there's a stat actually from Nielsen that 61% of the time people aren't looking at the screen. Yeah. So I'm actually curious like now you're this new generation of company, you know, where you're where you've grown up in the audio world, you understand how people uh, you know how important creative is and how how powerful audio can be. Do you do you think that will be a big influence and and people don't like to look at the screen. I know when I watch especially sports actually that's my time to like check right. my fantasy scores, like do whatever, like look on Twitter as to what's going on. It, so like the ads on, it's like see, the one time I, I would argue this is great for SeatGeek, you know, like it's the one time people actually watch ads. The only time in my life that I leave an ad on, on anything um, is, is when I'm watching a football game or a baseball right. game. Uh, and so I wonder, you know, have you thought about that dynamic of this person's probably checking their fantasy lineup? They're probably doing this. I'm advertising on TV. I'd like to think you've thought of this already. I'm curious. Uh, yeah, I mean, we. I think we're when we look at what has worked in our initial TV campaign, but more broadly, what's working for us as a brand right now, endorsements, particularly whether it's in the podcast space and now the YouTube space, are our most powerful differentiator for us right now as a brand. So we're looking for a way to bring that to our TV campaign. So Jack, the founder, was the star of our first campaign much to his chagrin, but we convinced him <laughs> to do it. And when you put that against the other creators we ran, it vastly outperformed it. And we know that there's the power of someone talking to you. And so we really need to, we're really leaning into that in 2020, but I think we're also cognizant that we really need to stick out in people's brain. We've thrown around like the nationwide ad and how like the branding on that and how when, when you hear, you know, was it Peyton do his, his reads, you know, and then you hear that branding at the end, it's, it's like embedded in your head. How do we become like that? 
Um, so I think that's a challenge for us. But initially, the signs are strong for us in TV, and I think we have much more of a creative idea going into 2020 after testing in 2019. So actually brought up a lot of interesting things I'm, I'm curious about. So, and yeah, the Peyton example is the classic. Like, it's such a strong audio brand. Um, we do an audio logo index every year, and that's always right. in the top, uh, you know, top three. It's like, you know, and so, um, but, you know, when you look at testing, what are some of the tools you're using to measure creative? You mentioned, you know, the old school of, of referral codes. Right. Um, like, what are, and now you've got TV. Like, what are the latest and greatest that, that you're using on that front to say, like, hey, this is how we're using data to figure this stuff out. Yeah. What I will say is I'm not the TV expert, so I'm going to speak a little bit. <laughs> well, well, it's a podcast about audio, so sure. we'll focus there. <laughs> so what we did um, in order to figure out, we use a company called Tatari who helps us measure the incremental visitors to our website when we do an ad, which is not an exact science, but it's, it's definitely better than nothing, and we were able to see strong results there. But in terms of the actual creative, this was somewhat interesting. Is we took all our ads and we did head-to-head tests on YouTube where we could have much more of a direct response where you could click the click download the app or much more direct response brand lifty we can see if you search google for SeatGeek, and so that way we were able to put our audio or our our commercials head to head with each other so we had jack go against our founder lev commercial go against a more general commercial go against an influencer led commercial and we were able to see how those creatives performed against each other and the key learning there was endorsements far and away beat all of our general creative that we really need to have a face to the brand and someone talking to to the audience, and that what resonated both in driving conversions and brand lift. And so that's broadly how we're measuring it right now. So we're using Tatari, which kind of broadly measures incremental visitors, and then we're putting the creative head-to-head to each other. And then the third thing we're doing is, I mean, it's, it's a, been used forever, but a post-purchase survey. So when, after people buy, where do they hear about us? Ironically, for six years, people said they've heard about us on TV. We've only been on TV in the past, you know, year. So you have a baseline of like, we can't really believe those people, but that's a good way also to measure our incremental sales. But for us, the key question with TV is what's incremental, right? Beyond, and I think there's there's going to be some crossover there. Ideally, you know, you you get, and that's where that's where the sonic branding thing can come into in play, where you, where it's a consistent message. Right. Um, where it's like, you know, it's the bank shot or the rebound, right? Like, right. you know, I, I heard about it on Bill Simmons and then I sort of thought I heard it on TV because I was looking at my phone and then, and then the event comes up and now it's like in my subconscious and that, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and that's branding, right? I mean, you know, I'm not yeah. going to pretend to be an expert in branding, but. Well, I mean, we're yeah. trying to figure that multi-attribution <laughs> problem is I think any brand who says they have it hundred percent figured out is, is lying. I would say it's, it's one of those things that you constantly have to iterate upon. And so we've spent. We have a whole data science team that spent a ton of time building out a multi-attribution model where, let's say, you heard about us on Bill Simmons, you didn't use the code yet, then you saw us on TV, and then you clicked on an SEM ad and bought. Those are three channels. How do we give proper credit so that we're not discounting more top-of-the-funnel channels like audio and TV and influencer while still making sure that we understand that the SEM ad was a last click. So the, there's kind of always that question in marketing, but it's an ongoing battle of trying to figure that out. Yeah. Now I, I have a good friend who was used to be the CMO of, of proactive, this, okay. the skincare. Yeah. And, and he would just sit there with his head in his hand, like, 
we're doing great. Right. But I have no idea because you because you couldn't move without seeing or hearing a proactive ad. No. Um, and it, yeah, it was one of those things. That I guess in some level, maybe it's a good problem to have. Um, but so, kind of just bringing it full circle. Um, Influencer marketing, social, how does, it's so moving away from TV for a second, how does that play into this in maybe a more current way, right? Like I imagine Facebook and some of these other places, do they, do they, or Instagram, does that kind of lead from more directly from a podcast to, to social in that way? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd back up before I got into influencer and say, I think the word influencer has been turned into such a buzzword now that it's like, seemed like, okay, you're just buying like, Instagram, you're doing these Instagram collaborations that are very, I don't know, impression based or maybe very vain. And I think what's being discounted right now is I'd, I'd use the term, even though I call myself an influencer marketer, like content creators. So what we're seeing is a lot of those people who are successful in podcasts are launching YouTube channels and, you, and YouTubers are launching top podcasts. And the reason is they're both persuasive, long form content. So if you're able to produce one of our top podcasts, uh, content creators right now is this guy david dobrik it's fine if you've never heard of him but he gets eight million views on his vlogs he does three vlogs a week eight million views each that would be a top cable tv show so for us we look at that similar to a podcast in that here's a four minute long video that people are going out of their way to watch and we have an integration in those videos this one's weird but we in an integration he uses our money to buy his friends' cars. It doesn't make any sense. We've bought 12 cars at this point. But people have heard, when they hear the words, this is sponsored by SeatGeek, they know something incredible is about to happen in these videos. So it's, it's ingrained in their head so much that we've become this character in his videos. When you hear the word SeatGeek, you know something amazing is about to happen. We're going to pay someone's tuition. And none of this has to do with tickets. But what it is is a value add to their content. He's our top endorser right now because we've gotten so ingrained with his audience that they champion us on social and everywhere because we've become this weird character in his vlogs. And I'd say that's when, when people think about influencer marketing, they, they tend to think about Instagram. And I think they really discount the value of YouTube because it's very similar to podcasts. And we look at it, think about it, a guy who breaks down Lakers film. He gets 100,000 views of video. That's a, good, a strong podcast for us. And that's how we initially got started. I was saw the success in the podcast space. And I was on YouTube. And I'm like, these, these guys are getting 100,000 views to watch a guy break down Lakers film. Why would we not be advertising this community and supporting this, this, this content creator? And that we did about three of those videos in 2016. And now we do about 200 videos a month. Um, and we do that all in-house. So that's much more like podcasts in the Wild Wild West where all those connections are one-to-one. But it's very similar for us in that we're coming full circle and that we're looking for that endorsement and we're looking for long-form content because that attracts an audience that really cares about the creator versus Instagram and Twitter where you get much more like scroll-through views and not people who can actually drive conversions. Right. And it's, it's I mean, the barrier to entry is so low. Right. That it, there's a person out there who can break down Lakers film, which like, you know, 10 years ago, how would that person have even found an audience? He probably would have been like, you know, living in the basement of his parents' house or something. And like now, this these people who can do the deep dive are, are more visible and they have more access to an audience, which is fantastic. Yeah, more visible, more. And it's the people who are finding them love these people so much because they feel like they're along with the ride. So they were there from the beginning. And what's great is if you're a brand sponsoring those content creators, you're supporting, it. You're supporting them. And that's our, our reads are often 
we don't tell them to do this, but they often say support SeatGeek because they support me. They allow this to be my full-time job. Right. And that's a real great place for a brand to be where you're actually helping these people produce more content. And so that's why we like YouTube and we like a lot of small podcasts. And we're willing to look at those small podcasts if they fit our demographic because you see the affinity levels are much, much higher than some of the more general, massive podcasts. So, so a great, passionate, small audience is just as valuable as, or sometimes more valuable than a, than a large. Yeah. And that's where I encourage a lot of brands who are looking at the space maybe to start thinking about is where would your most passionate audience be? That's where we started in podcast with sports fans. And that's where we started on YouTube. And they don't have to be the biggest audience in the world, but that audience is really going to care and you're able to build from there versus trying to take a massive swing and get on a massive podcast and not really being able to, and not maybe seeing the results you want to see because you haven't refined your creative and the audience hasn't heard about you enough times. Cool. So this has been really exciting. So there's a lot, and it's amazing to see like you're, you actually are an influencer in that like you can decide in a lot of ways what the next popular YouTube or podcast yeah. show and podcasts are, because if you can discover that awesome content, that passionate audience, you can put dollars behind that that might not be there. And you, you, have, a, you have a legitimate say in what the next awesome podcast is about sports, um, which is a really, uh, hopefully you appreciate, great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> so hopefully you appreciate that. Well, the weird thing is now people are not, the, not, not so much on podcasts, but the YouTubers are starting to put me in their videos like my phone calls with them talking about what we're going to sponsor in their videos. So I've become a weird, and this is not me bragging because the most ridiculous thing are asking for my autograph because David calls me and asks me if I can sponsor this and he'll put that uh, audio recording, right. that discussion. So you're giving people cars now, basically. Basically, <laughs> or other YouTubers are calling and I'll call Ian from SeatGeek. And because of that, it's, it's, it's people, people have let, the uh, the influencers have left people behind kind of like the curtain and so they feel even more involved in what's going on and we've seen it a bit in the audio space too uh, pat mcafee does a great job for us in that he like talks about how we were his first advertiser and we called and i think sometimes brands can take that even that next step and really just like let people in on how this all goes down right now and i think you've touched on it a couple times authenticity is such a big piece and i think in in the audio space especially it's a great place where that, that really comes across. And, and look, nobody loves, everyone feels tickets, right? It's like, right. I always feel like I'm getting gouged by, you know, all these different fees and, and, and all this stuff. And, and then you have a secondary market, which can also like add layers of that. So if Seeky can be perceived as an authentic, accessible brand, you know, great. And if you become famous in the process, what we can <laughs> say when you win. So actually in closing, like on that topic, like, you know, without sharing anything confidential, um, you talked a lot about 2020. What are some of the really cool and innovative things that, that maybe SeatGeek is doing or maybe Ian, who's now, you know, like might be might be doing in, tw- in the next uh, year or so? Yeah, I mean, I think for for 2020 for us right now, I mean, the, the less more boring but really impactful thing for us is thinking about where 2020 bets are going to be. The real value we view in podcast and in influencer is – a long-term deal, so a year-long deal with a partner. So that's incredibly important for us because we're able to do more creative things. So we're looking at ticketing live podcasts this year, which would definitely make complete natural sense for us, but it's a little bit more legwork on our end where we actually ticket these live podcast shows. So it would make a lot of sense for Pat McAfee to say, and I'm partnering with SeatGeek to do a live podcast episode in Indianapolis 
We also are a ticketer. We've, we've moved just from secondary ticketing to also ticketing venues. So we ticket the Cowboys, the Saints, the Pelicans, and a lot of MLS teams. And we want to bring that, do a podcast tour of our, of our partners. So you could imagine these podcasters setting up shop right at Cowboys training camp, then doing Saints, maybe doing something with the Pelicans. So we're really trying to think of ways where we can move our audiences from beyond just audio and into the real life, especially through ticketing. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This was fun. uh, Yeah, look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Awesome.